and welcome to the 905er podcast uh, with me, Roland Hanna. I am Joel McLeod. And um, it's our last last, last day at school, and no, last, last episode uh, before a short Christmas holiday break. And we thought today we'd just do a quick look back over, over the year and, and some of the stories that we've covered here on the 905er. To remind ourselves as much as anything of, of what we've talked about and some of the some of the stories, and there's been a, there's been a lot happened this year, in fact, so that we were questioning just before we came on what year something happened in, and uh, I think we're now at about 120 episodes, which seems to have happened 122, which uh, has happened very very quickly, and uh, it seems like anyway, in amongst COVID nineteen and everything else, and um, I, I guess this uh, well I'm. I hope that everybody's enjoyed listening to at least some of the episodes and that we've provided some information or some, some ways of hearing from people that you wouldn't have had before or through other channels. So, uh, so well, looking back on the year, we really thought there's kind of three big stories that we've been covering. And, and the first one is... Uh, many people remember the Halton Catholic District School Board debate back in sort of April, May time, uh, ahead of Pride Month. Well, Joel, why don't you, you give the kind of uh, summary of what went on there and what's happened oh, since? It's It's been – it was an inter- interesting time. If if people want to sit down and uh, grab an eggnog and we'll travel back to the <laughs> time that was April of 2020. Um, yeah, the, the a student went – to remind our listeners, a student went to the school board to petition them to raise the pride flag at at, at their school for the uh, month of June. The, the that wasn't the right necessarily the right format, but it sparked a debate about why why isn't the pride flag flown at Halton Catholic District School Board schools, which prompted one of the trustees, uh, Brenda Agnew, to put forward the motion and say, "Hey, let's just make a policy. Let's do it." And that basically kicked over a hornet's nest of uh, just it's, it was just nastiness uh, is is the most polite way to to phrase it, and uh, you basically had just people people coming on on both sides of this aisle, and it just got really nasty and vicious. Ultimately, uh, what I think the the real story there, ultimately the flag did not fly. the 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 board through I, I stayed up live tweeting that that uh, that night, and Mike. God, was that just a night of chaos and procedural wrangling, the likes of which I don't think anyone has ever seen this side of Robert's Rules of Order. Uh, they, they, uh, they ended up not passing the, the the resolution, and so the pride flag did not fly. However, it, it kind of it – I think it showed a, there was a, a divide between the trustees, the, the board of trustees, and A, the students that they were, they were purporting to, to govern um, – to make decisions for the be the teachers uh, that are, are their employees uh, and see a good deal of the parents uh, that are, they're counting on to support them. Uh, we're all pretty much coming out in favor of flying the flag. I, I, a number of the schools ended up t- tweeting a positive LGBTQ plus positive messages on their social media. A lot of the schools did some way of, trying to show their support, but officially that wasn't necessarily, it, it, it was, it was a murky, it, it was a murky situation. What I think the real story showed, and this is what sparked, it sparked a, I think a tidal wave of stuff that came afterwards was it showed a number of the trustees were very combative, very argumentative and very uncooperative to 
and they ended up really, I think, blocking a lot of the work that needed that needs to be done. Not not the the nice to do stuff, but I'm talking like basic working of a school board functioning was now people started shining light on it. And when, the more they saw it, the more they saw it. This was a board. This is a board that does not get along, that does not get things done, and is not. You know, it's a, it's a board in name only is what we've seen this year. Uh, something we've been following, we've been covering numerous stories, and it's just. It's it's a story that I don't think is going to go away, unfortunately, in uh, in the night in the new year. But that's not for me, Roland. What do you, what do you think about it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be settled at the next election. Uh, it'll either be, and then it will either be settled or it won't be settled, and this state of affairs will carry on. The divide will either go away or the divide will stay. The divide, and but I mean, that sounds like an obvious statement. What I mean by that is that those members of the school board who often have a majority at the moment i mean it's we should point out because there's always you know when we use phrases like the school board did this or that a, a section of the school board did all of that but it was a majority it was enough to it was it was enough to not just block the uh, pride flag uh, vote but a whole raft of other other votes which were just continually being derailed and delayed and um uh you know, uh, every sort of every method in the book, and some that weren't in the book, were used to to just get in the way of anything that that certain members um, disagreed with. And I, I think generally, Vince Ina Jan Tomasi is generally sort of seen as as the former chair of the board. Is generally seen as one of the leaders of that. But and you're more familiar with with the. And the people than others, but I mean, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. There, I mean, it's it's on the it's record. All, it's on the, that, that, that it's those, on the record. Yeah, yeah, it's all exactly. out there. And it's just that it, um, this is that what started out as a what should have been just a feel good story, just kind of degenerated into it, just a comedy of errors for the the Halton Catholic District School Board. You know, I, I say this as, as somebody who who hey, I used to I ran to be on that on that school board, and I quite frankly, I look at what's been going on, and I. I said to somebody, I consider my loss to be the greatest thing that ever happened to me because <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I cannot imagine myself sitting on there and being happy having to do that week after week. Um, that, you know, and that the other, the other thing, uh, you know, we, we uh, you know, one, one thing that I can look at and say is, you know, it talks about the, the need for boards as a whole. I mean, this thing is just, it's gotten, to me, it's gotten that bad that me, it starts questioning the, the entire idea of, school board structure and the necessity of it in this day and age the chair of the board patrick murphy came on to discuss uh follow i mean that there was a independent kind of review of trustee behavior that was carried out uh that was i'm searching back in my memory here so which is a very unreliable thing to to use which was which was critical of the behaviour of of uh, of that of that kind of clique of members uh, of of trustees, and some of their behaviour in terms of just you know needlessly getting in the way. And it's like you know once you've realised that you don't have the votes, rather than letting the vote go ahead and losing it, just to throw everything throw everything more at at, um, at preventing things from happening in a really, for want of a better word, bloody minded kind of way of behaving. Uh, that would see meetings run out of time and extended, and uh, just just a continual kind of mess of uh, of meetings. And yeah, I mean, really, I mean, obviously that they, they, they this has given rise to to you know a really quite very active and very well organised um, parent 
group it's Holton Holton Parents for Change who we've also spoke to a number of times with um, uh, Dr. Alex Power who are just saying, you know, enough is enough. And that, that was kind of, I mean, that's kind of what got, got you to run last time that we were already seeing some very yeah, I mean, that's- unhappy things happening, but it's just gotten so much worse since the last election. And some of the people who were meant to be the new brooms um, after 2018 ain't such, <laughs> ain't such great brooms after all. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. I, because we're, it's something that we're going to keep, following in the new year uh so subscribe stay tuned because we'll be following the new year just to see what what goes on because there will be an election coming up i don't i i i'm curious to see what happens with uh with this board uh i do have a vested interest my my uh, my, my my kids do go in into the board so I'm, I'm i view it more as a bit more of a personal matter than just strictly professional i'll admit but um, and one thing i'm absolutely certain of is that in the next one to five years maximum the pride flag will be flying over Horton district school board schools uh, during the month of june well it already does no it the Halton district know. it's the Halton catholic that you're you're talking yeah about, yeah right? sorry yeah, if yeah. I misspoke there and, and and many many i mean already this year multiple other multiple other catholic school boards voted to uh, raise the pride flag i know it's a point we, we made at yeah. the time uh, there was no public commentary whatsoever no um, in, in remarkably little comment about it um whereas when the opposite happened here in halton there was international international attention was brought in a negative way to to halton catholic district school board so i mean it's the last thing that any politicians of any uh, ability uh, want to yep. do absolutely let's take a break and we'll go on to our next uh our, our next topic of uh of note welcome back everyone um so on on with the next uh topic of note not that was not necessarily this one's not necessarily a 905 centric uh story but it is one that of course it uh, deals with uh and one that dealt with everybody no matter where you lived in canada and that was this year's general election for for uh, for for the federal uh, federal government, which was our our it was lucky for us because it was our first live cast that we did. That was a that was a long marathon of a of an was, evening for a, the two was, of us. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a fun night, and to everybody who who um, tuned in, the right word um, isn't is it? But anyway, let's pretend we're all still using crystal sets, and it's the nineteen well, forties. You, you got to see our our <laughs> ugly mugs on your uh, on your computer yeah. screen or. God forbid if you had a had a streaming on your TV, uh, but yeah, it was it was a it was a fun night, and I think that the big you know it was fun to it's fun to give play by play commentary, and it's because God forbid, like I you know I I don't know how they do it on on live TV because that thing was after a while you're just like I need a break. I'm just I've been talking for like three hours straight. <laughs> I, <laughs> Even for us, that was a push. <laughs> oh uh, yes, something came up in the last week that was just interesting, and and it's it's. it's uh, it's a jokey kind of obsession of mine now um, that I really want to interview Burlington's conservative candidate at the last election, Emily Brown. Um, because one thing I'm very certain of, Emily Brown is a, has strong opinions. She's a highly educated person. She teaches at Sheridan College. Uh, I'm sure she's very smart. Um, I'm sure her opinions are well considered, well thought out, and, and worth hearing, to be quite honest. And I mean, I'm just picking on her at random because Burlington happens to be the city well, I was living in at the time, no, and because no, 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 there, there was there was a very legitimate reason why, and this this went to all the conservatives because 
you know, when we when we sat down, we said, how are we going to cover a federal election from a 905 perspective? And we thought, well, do we try and interview every candidate? We said, that's we don't have enough episodes, let alone time or manpower or just, you know, it's just not possible. We'd set out on the idea of we're going to interview one candidate from each major party and ask them questions pertaining to the 905 region and what that party, if elected to government, was going to do for the region. And when we first set out, we made a list of candidates and we, we started emailing campaigns to say, hey, do you want to come on to record? One of the first people we emailed and one of the first responses we got back was from Melissa Lansman, the conservative candidate in Thornhill. And we were ecstatic. We were, th- I, I, when I got that email back from her campaign manager saying she w- she'd love to come on and we were excited because we we're going to say, yes, we're going to have a, a real conversation with somebody who's smart, who's intelligent, who knows their party platform and who's supposed to be the face of the, of the conservative party here in the 905 region. And we were, we were, you and I were really excited for that. And then we got the day before we were supposed to come on a, sorry, but the, the central campaign won't let us on. They, they won't let us come on your, on your podcast because there's a, a, a no podcast rule now somewhere, somewhere from Ottawa in the conservative party headquarters. They passed this rule and they told all their conservative, their candidates, nope, you can't go on any, any podcasts. I don't know what they have against podcasts. Maybe they just don't like the future. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, and the truth is they don't go on much of anything. I mean, you would catch the odd candidate doing the odd interview on on radio or television, but but basically it's the leader. When it comes to the CPC, it was the leader from beginning to end, and no one else really said anything other than those candidates like uh, Pierre Polivo, who are kind of a law unto themselves and can do whatever they like, including yeah. campaigning for the leadership during an election. However, I mean, that's, by the way, I mean, and I think it's a great shame. I mean, because I, I will tell you in all honesty, my initial reaction when I saw that Emily Brown was running in Burlington, it's like, oh, well, at least they've got someone smart running this time. You know, that this is someone with who's got a career, who's who's achieved some things in life, and who is, you know, hasn't just been sort of pulled out of, out of I don't know what you'd call it, the kind of CPC well we, we thought she, we thought that she wasn't gonna be just a backroom spokesperson right now you know mm-hmm. the there are there were you and i have been in politics long enough we know that there are certain writings they just say oh we'll give that, those to the token supporter the token fundraiser the token you know the, the the person who's been around long enough okay we'll give we'll give them that seat go go run there and we thought emily brown was a she was somebody who moved moved here, so it was an outsider perspective, which I thought was going to be a little bit refreshing. And we we asked her, we asked her regardless, and again, no response from uh, from that campaign. It was very disappointing. And, and the reason the reason I, I mention this now is just because I, I noticed last week that uh, Emily Brown was was uh, tweeting a couple of things through her Twitter account, and, and I said, "Oh, look, she can talk." <laughs> And we got into a bit of a Twitter conversation, which was very, I, I hope, very um, uh, respectful on both sides. That was respectful on my side. Um, I mean, it was a disagreement because, I mean, the, the, you know, the reason that Emily Brown, of all the candidates, didn't speak is, is pretty obvious. That she is, that she is um, someone with a great deal of experience in shooting and guns and as a gun advocate, if you like, or, or, or certainly of sport, uh, you know, as opposed to um, the laws that are currently being introduced by the by the Liberal government. Um, so, you know, in all honesty, my again, my feeling was, well, you know, 
run anywhere, but don't run in Burlington or don't run in the 905 if you're if if guns are your thing. Uh, there are there are many ridings where that will play just fine. Uh, the ni- urban 905 region is not it. Um, no. However, I mean, if you're going to run, you put your name on the ticket and. Um, you know, and you, you, you call upon, uh, gun advocates to sort of sign your nomination papers and things like this, then you, you, you owe it to us to speak about it, you know, and, and, and not speaking about it just makes you look worse. So, I mean, to Emily Brown, I know this is becoming a joke now, and I, I'm sure, I'm fairly sure she doesn't listen to this podcast, but if you, if you're a friend of Emily Brown, please, in all honesty, in, I really would love to interview you because I, I it at this point it's like just do it come on <laughs> and, and we will interview you respectfully just as we did the other candidates and basically you know in a half hour interview uh, we're not going to sit there trying to trip someone up for half an hour okay. you will get to have your say about your what do you believe? And we'll put our point of view. Aside, we'll try and challenge that. But you know, it's it, aside, it's aside for uh, aside from that though. What what did what what did you think of the election overall? Like what what do you think? Uh, was- I, the best thing I could say for the election overall was that it was better than the one before in terms of that being absolute low point. But this was you know almost as bad low point. I mean, it was it was such a turned out to be such a, a non entity of an election. You know, I mean, everybody's yeah. And uh, that back, I mean, I mean, the, the one sort of achievement that came out of it, I guess, if you're the government, is that now the other parties are even more financially uh, unable to to truly really put up a challenge uh, um, for maybe another uh, you know, I, good period. I thought the entire thing was just a complete waste of time. I, I don't, I don't think, we, I don't even think the only the the only loser that came out of it, I think, was Aaron O'Toole because now the eyes are on him. And not in a, a good way. It's it's him. The eyes are now on him to try and save his job, not necessarily even be a good uh, opposition leader. It's just how is he going to save his job? Because now it seems like all the knives are out, which not surprising. I, I was disappointed because I was looking for some big ideas. It's something we've talked about. It says it, we're in the yeah. middle. We are, you know, hey, in case you haven't paid attention, people were still in the middle of a global pandemic, and quite frankly, you know, everybody thought that oh, we we pass it the the vaccines are, are 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 doing their thing, and it turns out not quite. Omicron is now kicking our butts all over the the province. It seems, and I wonder, you know, what if we had some bigger, bolder ideas that, that dealt with the reality that there's probably other variants that are going to come down the pipe. We'll 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 beat Omicron. I believe we will. I do, um, but not without a few more bruises on us. And the question is. When, when are we going to have a government that puts forward a big idea of, you know what, we need to change change the script here? Because the script doesn't necessarily work for the average Joe. And I was really looking forward in the last federal election to see some big ideas from one of the three main parties to really change the script on how we deal with this this thing in terms of the economy and our safety. My, my hope is out for the provincial election here in Ontario that one of the, the NDP or the Liberals are still going to put forward a, a big vision plan for the province to deal with it not just hey doug ford is bad because you know that's just uh i i don't think it, i don't think it cuts the mustard anymore when you, you need to start swinging hard for the fences and well yeah and in the electoral system we have the electoral system we have you know it's clear that in ontario a sizable majority of people um 60 to 65 percent or more of voters of people who actually turn out and vote do not want 
Doug Ford to be their premier um, and will probably never vote conservative in any circumstance. I mean, the vast majority of those are not floating voters that can float very much between, you know, there's a percent here and there that will that will move. However, the system we have, that's good enough for Doug Ford to be premier for another four years, mm-hmm. unless the NDP and the OLP can really shake things up a bit. And again, I don't think we can keep on doing elections again and again and again, where everybody thinks, well, what the hell was, the, was all that about? Oh, and where the majority of people come out of the election having lost. I mean, the whole point of democracy is we get the, we get what we vote for, but we don't get what we vote for uh, ever. Uh, and that's as true of Justin Trudeau winning with 32% of the vote or whatever it was, as it will be with Doug Ford winning with, with 32% of the vote. Yep. Um, that's not right. Um, and we keep on doing it. People become more and more... Now, whether they technically know anything or care anything about uh, democratic reform and all those things, when we keep on doing it, each time you're turning more and more people off to democracy, ultimately, uh, you're opening more people up to the kind of extremism that we've seen in the States. And um, I just, I just it, think it's hugely destructive. I just think people want bold. They want better. They want... And that's something you and I were talking about on a, on a previous episode. This idea of incrementalism, I think we have to throw it out the window right now. That this is this is a global pandemic. It has ravished our economy. We the economy is not like here. Here's my analysis of this of the shitstorm that we're in right now. We have another variant coming into the province. It is going to it just kick our butts for another few months until we cut off our top, we go into another pseudo lockdown, whatever you want to call it, and we see the numbers come down. Then we'll start to gradually reopen. We're, we're going to do it all over again, folks. That's just my prediction. Um, and we haven't, we haven't learned the lesson from the last three times, last three go-arounds of this because that it's too hard work or, or whatever. We need to change the plan. The plan isn't working. We need to fix it. Um, I, I personally am in favor of things like basic income. Uh, to help people who might lose their jobs. I would love to see that happen. I would like to see stricter uh, mask and, and vaccine mandates and allow employers to stop this. Oh, give, well, you can rapid test and that's good enough. Just say, no, you, you know, you're, you're gotta be vaccinated. Um, I want to see, I, I want to see more workers rights where you can, if you're hired by a company, they have to give you the option. If it, the job is possible to, to be done from home, you can work from home at the same pay. Um, make it make the onus on the employer to entice you to come into work if they do if they want you in that office twenty four seven or you know something comparable. But if it can be done from home and you want to do it from home, you should have the right to do it from home. Uh, there, there's, but you know that, those are things I want to see. I, the, the fact is, we have an Omicron variant coming in. Uh, I looked at the south of the border, and we thought that Joe Biden being elected was going to we're going to have a return to pre-Donald Trump. Clearly, that's not going to happen. If you're paying attention to what's going south of the border, our trade agreements with them is very much up in the air. Uh, right now, the the Build Back Better plan probably isn't going to pass right now, but the, 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 the fact that this was a threat to us would have devastated our economy. Like, and it, nobody in America cared. Nobody cared. Every, everything that I read was show that no no senator, no congressperson was sitting there going, oh my gosh, no, the poor Canadians. Nobody gave a shit about us. Nobody's going to give a shit about us until we stand up for ourselves and we say, 
hey, we need to we need to change the script here. We need we need to do things a bit better. We need to manufacture more here in this in this province. We need to inf- uh, reach out to other markets to trade our goods, to sell our goods, have more confidence in our own abilities to build and 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 finance things. Instead of always looking from some other company to build a factory, let's build it ourselves. That's what I want to see for in the next provincial election, but I'm not I don't think we are. No, we're not gonna see we're gonna see we're gonna see something very predictable, I suspect. Um yeah, I mean, it's like we, we really get if we think that any foreign government, whether it's the US or or any other government in the world, is going to do Canada any favors. Um, of course not. They're going to fight for the toughest deal they can. You know, do we all remember softwood lumber and that whole thing? Um, I'm not sure anybody really knows what it's about, other than it went on for decades. And uh, uh, the, the, wor- know, the world it, is put- the world is putting up walls. That's the thing. Is it? Well, I think. I think. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting thing that we've kind of COVID has 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 revealed the limits of globalization and mm-hmm. the problems of some of the problems of globalization. Uh, back when everybody was, when kind of the more radical protesters were, were marching to say, you know, globalization is is inherently kind of evil, capitalist, whatever. I kind of used to raise an eyebrow at that just because I remembered when. Uh, the idea of free trade between nations was the most left-wing idea that existed in the world. Because mm-hmm. it's like, well, if you have free trade, you can't go to war with someone you depend on for goods and food and products. And it's still, to this day, although that was a, a very Victorian uh, 19th century concept, I still think there's something to be said for that, that you tend not to go to war, war with countries who are making stuff for you. But, you know, when... COVID hits I and mean, we don't have any mass when we can't make our own supplies of uh, a vaccine, when whether we seem to be lagging the entire rest of the world in terms of, of, of having any significant supply of uh, rapid tests. You know, for those who follow me on Twitter, they'll know I've, I made this comment today. You know, I have family members scattered kind of on multiple continents. Uh, they have cupboards full of these darn things, and they kind of use them whenever they need to, just to check: Am I okay? Yep, okay. Uh, and sure, the rapid tests are not one hundred percent accurate, and all the rest of it. But it, it's it, it gives you a kind of, of uh, rule of thumb. And they can't believe it when I say you can't get those things here unless you go and fight it out with the LCBO. Why the hell are we going to a booze store <laughs> for rapid tests? <laughs> or or fork, forking over 40 bucks at the shopper's, shopper's drug market. Making people right? drive to go and find a yeah. bus that's we, out there somewhere and then line up in the cold. I mean, we just, it's, need, it's, we just need to do better. And we need like this, yeah. we, we need, we need to shake off our complacency and, and catch up with the rest of the world. But alas, I don't know if the pe- those people are going to be listening to this episode. I hope they will. Okay, last one, last one of the of the night, and last one of twenty twenty one. What do we got? Well, and it, well, it really is the last story of twenty twenty one, really. In that, you know, it, it's the story of it's the taxi story um, from Burlington. That it's it's kind of a big deal, and it, it's a big de- obviously it was a big deal for for the taxi company itself, and above all for the employees of the company. And I always want to uh, emphasize that because you know, as we go on, we tend to talk about the implications of various aspects of this, but ultimately this is a human story of employees and business mm-hmm. um, that have, that, that, uh, that no longer exists in, in, uh, in Burlington. But having said all that, the real question is regardless of whether you think that the city had any significant role in, in the collapse of Burlington taxi or not. Uh, the question is how can 
directions from council to staff simply not be acted upon uh, for years on end or at all. And that is, I think, a question that needs to be, that, that we need to kind of commit to our listeners that we won't let go. Um, it's not good enough for the city manager, and I'm repeating exactly what I said last week, but I'm going to say it again anyway. It's not good enough for the city manager to say, we messed up, really sorry, it won't happen again. Uh, no, that's this is a big deal. How many times has it happened? Has it, you know, is it, are there other uh, directions out there that haven't been direct, that acted upon? Why? What was the procedure by which the, these these staff directives were logged and registered and tracked? Um, and you know, how how could this happen? I, I, I'm not looking for anybody's head particularly. It's not that kind of ego thing, but. Accountability, yes. I, you know, part of the problem I feel with our municipal government is, you know, we have a, we have councils that are all accountability and no power. Everybody right. thinks that they run the show and they don't. Um, so they get the blame when a building goes up that they don't like the look of. And sure, they have a role to play in it, and they're elected. And you know, you know, if you don't like the heat, don't go into the kitchen and the rest of it. However, at the end of the day, they do not direct. Um, they do not control in any detailed way the policy that comes out of a city hall. So the people who do that are the staff, from the city manager down through the, the planners in the planning department, through the people who run the transport, through the clerk's office, the clerk's office, sorry, and so on and so forth. Those people who you know, generally are kind of nameless, faceless, for all sorts of good reasons, are kind of unaccountable. Um, and yet they, they have a great deal of influence in shaping the agenda of any city well, uh, and of deciding what gets done and when it gets done. And it's, so if they just ignore the one thing that the councillors can do, which is give them a, a, a direction, then what the hell, you know? Well, the, 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 I mean, that's pretty much it, right? It's that they, they don't, it's who's running the show at, at City Hall. And that's something that we've kind of, again, we've talked about it in numerous episodes is that the, it always comes up with development. Everybody says, "Why? Why can't we have to order developer to to build this tall and that tall and and put this feature and that feature on?" And I'm like, "That that to me has always been a red herring because you go to city city council and basically it's just yeah, here's you, you just showed into the wind. There's no there's no actual power in the city council uh, to and in this case in this case it's clear in in Burlington City Council there's very little power to go and say no make this, we want this change to happen. We want to do this because I'll be honest, I, I invite our listeners, if you haven't listened to the episode, go back and listen. Um, we'll put links to all these episodes, I, I think, in the show notes for, for for you to listen to. But man, oh man, when the fact that like, it sounded like the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing at city council when, because the story coming out was. Uh, yeah, and no, I just, I just, I don't think, and actually it's, it's kind of uh, a correction, I, I guess I would make to, to, just a couple of words that, that Scott Wallace said at the end of that episode. And that I'm pretty sure that the, the councillors, particularly the new councillors, had no clue about this until November. So right. uh, the implication that he had speak, been speaking to councillors before November is, is incorrect. I don't think he actually meant to imply that, but it, it could be heard that way. Um, however, he was talking to staff. Right. Um, and, and staff had not brought it to councillors' attention. And, and, and whether whether you think the two councillors who are sort of carry over from the old old council should well, have that, been more on the ball, I don't know. I mean, I'll leave that, that to others to decide. But I mean, I guess what I, I was trying to say was that the, this, 
you know, like it was just the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. And in which case, like, what, how effective are you as a body? Are like, what, what's, what's the point of having you? And when Scott, when Scott Walls dropped that, because the, the narrative coming out of city council was, oh, we, we, or city hall, I should say, was, oh, whoopsie daisy, we dropped the ball, our bad. Um, you know, it just, we, we did, nobody was following up on it. We're sorry. And when Scott said, no, I've been talking with somebody at city and city staff for off and on for the three years, it's like, then, this was I, like to me. I was like, this changed everything about that conversation because it to me it said they somebody at City Hall knew that this was still a priority for uh, for Scott, and, and it might there might have not been an official directive put over, but the fact that nobody followed up and said, "Hey, Scott's still calling me about this directive from uh, the old council. Like, what, do we have orders from this current council to follow up on that? Or, you know, here's my report. Yeah, what do I, I what do I do with it?" The fact that, that that conversation clearly never happened, and if it did, whose decision was it to say, you know, shut up and go I, away? I, I think, I mean, again, I, I've heard from multiple sources, from people who worked at City Hall in the past, people who, who work there now, whatever, with, with some kind of level of familiarity with this, uh, that suggests to me that, that uh, there was... It wasn't necessarily a a, a, a personal uh, feeling towards Scott Wallace or anything like that. It was just, oh God, this guy again. Um, why does he keep on hassling us? And it's that kind of being divorced from the reality of here's a guy whose business is on the line. Right. Who's like, I need something to happen quickly, and you're the only people who can do it. Uh, all- and this, you know, do you realize how busy we are? Kind of uh, attitude, which maybe not meant in any kind of malicious way um but but can be enormously damaging well it's at that kind of institutional level maybe it's a a matter of complacency that it's you know if if you view your here's the thing your government your municipal government but your government nonetheless you have immense power over the lives of the people that you serve that's that's the the thing that you i think i want I hope that our listeners take away from this. Whether it's municipal, provincial, or federal, you have enormous power over people. You make laws that can change clearly how a business is governed or how a business operates, and you can literally wipe out a business in a heartbeat with the stroke of a pen. You've got to take your job more seriously. And that's what, and again, that's what comes down to the poor apology I think we heard from city council is that there was no, like, where was the anger in? And the fact that a business with 200 some employees in it is, is out of work in, 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 overnight. And there's no, like, there's no, uh, no I don't, again, I'm not, I'm not calling for the, for people's heads on platters, but just to say, no, an apology isn't good enough here, people. I want to report. No, you know what? Let's, let's call in a third party, a third party investigator to say what goes on here. What, what is actually is going on at city hall. And you know what? That third party, you report back to us in a month's time. And we're going to act and, on that. It, it's that there's this culture, and I understand why it is. It, it's, it's this culture of kind of very respect in, in, in public, at least, and in council meetings. I'm not talking here about, so council on one side and staff on the other. It's very important that anybody who's not familiar with how our municipalities work understands these very distinct entities that are council and staff. Uh, and they are frequently at loggerheads. Um, I mean, not in terms of, not necessarily in a bad way, but councillors want one thing to happen and staff feel that maybe they prefer that didn't happen and are trying to persuade councillors of their point of view. That's all in theory fine. However, when the city manager said, you know what, we we screwed up, there was a staff direction, we did nothing, nothing happened, we obviously didn't implement it, I'm sorry it won't happen again, we have changed our procedures. 
I don't think it was actually good enough for the councillors in the room at that time to say, okay, thanks, let's move on. We appreciate how hardworking you are and how how quickly you moved to uh, do something now. It's like, no, you moved because you were in the, you know, in the shit because you screwed up um, and because now it was in the media. You were getting bad publicity and so you moved. And sure, we all sometimes do things like that. <laughs> I mean, we all, it certainly is a motivating thing when, when you've screwed up and it's everybody can see that you've screwed up. However, yeah, exactly. This, this, this needs more explanation. How could this happen? Because the staff direction thing is the only power that councillors ultimately really have. And so if that is ignored routinely, and I, I suspect I would be astounded if this is a one-off, astounded, if we find that this is then and and what other city halls is this happening in and it it speaks to in large institutions people get complacent they get arrogant you know and it's like god like i run department x i've been here for 20 years we've got this moron of a councillor who got elected here whenever why the hell do i have to listen to this numpty uh when i know far better and it's a very natural kind of feeling like if anybody who's ever worked in a shop will know that the shop assistants are always talking about the, <laughs> the oh, yeah, customers yeah. behind the backs and it's like yeah. oh that idiot blah 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 it's it's just part of institutions i get that however in a democratic institution you have to fight tooth and nail against that and the reason why the guy the person male or female uh, with 20 years of experience has to listen to the person with two years experience because the two year person with two years experience has a whole bunch of votes behind them. And that's the way it works in this country. Um, and it's really important, you know, and we're not just making a, a storm out of nothing here. Mm-hmm. You cannot just ignore the legislated legal uh, uh, power that councillors have uh, to tell staff what to do. It's the most important thing in the act. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to what we'll be looking at in the first part of 2022, I think that's a story we have to uh, keep pursuing. Um, on, on that note, um, since you have a few minutes left, what what predictions are you, or what stories are you looking forward to maybe touching upon uh, in 2022? Uh, the provincial election is obviously going to loom large. Um, mm-hmm. It's bound to. Uh, well, I think we've already kind of given the game away that our expectations are kind of low, but perhaps we'll be pleasantly surprised um mm. i i feel that i was just thinking when you were talking earlier about you know the the need for for big changes you know the the, the great the great moments in history or big moments in history and this is a big moment in history that we're going through right now this is you know this is going to be a whole chapter or more in in the history books of the century when when they get written um really need big you know great leaders to come to the fore uh, people who who can grab the ball by the horn grab the opportunity that that covid has presented to us the, the opportunity in that we have gone now everybody talked for years about the ability to work from home and you know why the hell am i dragging into toronto every day to work at a at a computer when i could when i've got a computer at home and, and that change has happened um but there's so much positive that that could come out of this um but it needs leaders to kind of t- to really champion that. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. that's the, the idea that we, we, we I, I don't know if it's possible or not, but 
that's the least look at it. You know, the idea, okay, all these offices now sitting empty. Well, well could that fit, f- um, fill the need for affordable housing if you repurpose a whole load of office buildings? Yeah, that the, the, there's all kinds of possibilities that that no one seems to be talking about. Instead, we've got we've got the leaders of the three major Ontario parties just talking about the same old stuff and. and you know, I think I don't think we were recording when we were having a conversation about you know our kind of least favorite um, press release words, <laughs> uh, and I think I'm trying to remember what they were, but it's like one of those we call upon Premier Doug Ford. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the, like, it's the, just it's, nonsense. It's, a, it's the same old. Well, I, I call up. Uh, yeah, upon no, my no, partners across the aisle to no, no, you don't. You're trying to embarrass them by saying you want to do something that you know they don't want to do. They definitely don't want to do it if you're names on it it's it's posturing it's a game it insults everybody's intelligence you know just Absolutely. just knock it off and if you if you really want to leave you know, if you really want to put your hand out to to another party leader and get something done you're not going to do it via a press release um you're going to do it privately on a phone organizing a meeting or a zoom meeting or whatever that's how actual deals get done with with other parties um we know that um yep so, so knock off the posturing. I'm, I'm going to say my my start talk is again going to be an election because it's going to next year's election year. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Hamilton, and I will be looking at the Halton Catholic School Board elections. Um, those have kicked both of those have kicked over a grassroots hornet's nest that. I'm eager to see if the grassroots are able to get the change that they want uh, in the, in each of those elections. It's going to be a. I, I think both races will be tight uh, to to see if if they manage to t- tip the scales of balance in those in the board and in on city council with enough. Uh, dare I say, progressives uh, to to influence the change and to kind of put forward a more progressive or more more egalitarian vision of both uh, the city of Hamilton and the Halton Catholic School Board. Uh, because I, in a lot of cases, I think that the future of both I'm not going to say both institutions, but just I, I think I think the future of of some interesting advancements are, 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 are on the line here. I think, you know, if you want to, if you want to, for Hall, for Hall and Catholic, it's kind of, it's turned into one of those lightning rods of the question of why do we have Catholic education here in the province of Ontario still? And people look at the ongoing shenanigans there and they wonder like, why, why do we have tax money going in there? It's a valid question. So I would argue that has become a microcosm of that debate uh, in the province, which Again, I'll be curious to see how that unfolds over the next year. And of course, City of Hamilton, we have discussed that there are numerous bodies and entities that are heading to the ramparts in that election to, I, I think, force just finally force a lot of the old guard out and to bring in a more, I'm not going to say necessarily progressive, but just a, a vision of the city that isn't just stuck in, well, that's just the way it is mentality uh you know somebody who's gonna say yeah you know lrt maybe development maybe um well and people who think beyond the walls of their yeah absolutely in the, the mental walls of their ward you know that the, the the kind of in a traditional way to get reelected is you know everybody you meet who, who complains about the the garbage can being left on the side of the road you fix those little problems yeah. because because the person individually will remember that oh yeah fred came out and fixed my garbage can um and, and it, it 
it's an inbuilt incentive not to give a damn about the rest of the city. And certainly I think we see that in Hamilton. Um, I think we see it in many cities, but uh, some of the old guard, that's how, how they think. They just don't think of the city, but they are there to represent and make decisions for the city. Well, that's, um, I'm going to say that's it for, uh, for this week's uh, ep- or this year's uh, episode. Uh, you know what? If, if you're listening and you disagree with any of our, our stories, for uh, what's with the top story in the 905, you know what? Send us a tweet. Uh, send us a tweet. Send us an email. Let us know. We want to hear from you. Uh, while you're sitting around the uh, by the fireplace <laughs> uh, at Christmas time, drinking your eggnog, your cider, coffee, whiskey, whatever you're drinking, pull out your phone. Send us a message. Tell us off if you want. I don't care. It's all. It's all good. Do you know what we we um tell tell, tell us off because Lord knows you probably can't tell your uncle off. So yeah, that's it. That's that's our Christmas gift to you. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Oh anyway. oh, and uh, and Merry Christmas because we can still say that. <laughs> and uh, happy I don't know midwinter festival to you all. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.